Kenya and South Africa, where indigenous companies had developed their own anaerobic digestion equipment in the case of South Africa for the dairy sector, in the case of Kenya in the horticulture sector. Um, these were really moving and were successful um, and they were spawning off new, new industries. That was Mike from the BESA program and this is the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm your host, Anand Patanjali. Mike Bess is the team leader for the BESA program and he has over 40 years of international experience in the fields of sustainable development, focusing primarily on clean energy, environment, and climate change. He has worked extensively in the African continent, covering Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Sierra Leone, Zambia, Mozambique, etc. Ankit Agarwal is the project manager for the BESA program. He has close to 10 years of experience specializing in project management of low carbon energy technologies, monitoring and evaluation of clean energy funds and programs, and has expertise in climate finance and energy policy. Welcome, Mike and Ankit. We are here talking today about the BESA program report. Niraz LTS partnered with Aston University EFOTEC Aigwasol for a two-year research program entitled Bioenergy for Sustainable Local Energy Services and Energy Access in Africa, Phase 2. In short, BESA 2. Part of, part of the Transforming Energy Access Program funded by the UK Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office. Let's start with you, Mike. What do you think are the report's key findings and conclusions regarding the constraints and opportunities for commercial bioenergy development in Sub-Saharan Africa? Thank you, that's a good question. Um, there were several, let's say, major takeaways that came out of this study. Um, I think overall, uh, bioenergy is playing an increasing role in uh, a number of economies in, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, in our case, we looked at 10 countries, um, and the ones that we, we looked at, um, it seemed to be that the most important um, area of growth was in the area of biomass for combustion, um, both for heat and electricity. Um, we looked also at anaerobic digestion. Uh, in fact, actually, that was in our, uh, we looked at that in, in four of our seven case studies. Um, in the case of, of combustion for heat and electricity, um, we can say that it's, uh, it's alive and well. Um, if we look at the, we looked at the cement sector, for example, um, there is a, an increase, the cement sector has a very high heat demand and generally internationally is reliant for a significant amount of, of fossil fuels. But what we know that we found in Nigeria, where we looked at, we found that um, biomass was being used in um, several factories and in several factories, it had already replaced 50% of the uh, fossil fuel, in this case, natural gas. Um, and that's really significant. Um, when we looked at the uh, oil palm, uh, palm oil industry for electricity generation, heat generation, um, the 
residues, crop residues from the oil palm was very significant. In the major factories, it was uh, driving um, almost all the electricity. We also looked at anaerobic digestion in one of the factories in Ghana, and it was really quite uh, quite significant. Um, they were using palm oil uh, residue effluent um, to provide the feedstock for the for the uh, anaerobic digestion. However, looking at anaerobic digestion across the board, um, in sort of summary, we found that it, there were a lot of obstacles. Um, most of the equipment is imported. Um, it's expensive. Um, and one of the key takeaways that we found that in Kenya and South Africa, where indigenous companies had developed their own anaerobic digestion equipment, in the case of South Africa for the dairy sector, in the case of Kenya in the horticulture sector, um, these were really moving and were successful, um, and they were spawning off new new industries in that that area. But in most of the rest of the areas with anaerobic digestion, the equipment was imported. Um, it was expensive, oftentimes very difficult to operate. So that wasn't an area that was really very was going very far um, and very fast at the moment. Um, I think those are the, the key takeaways from a technical point of view. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the policy and, and, and financial side uh, in, in a bit later. Thanks, Mike. I mean, that was very interesting. You know, what do you think would be the main recommendations uh, to enable a greater uptake uh, of bioenergy technologies at scale uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa? Well, I think, as I said, in for heat purposes and for self-generation, uh, auto-generation for electricity, um, it's bioenergy is is going strong. Um, it's when it comes to the electricity sector, um, and that is not for own use primarily, but for export. There are a number of obstacles. Um, access to the grid is one of them. Um, the the fact that many of these uh, uh, enterprises that are using bioenergy um, and generating electricity or could generate electricity uh, are rural, uh, as one would expect being in, in, in the biomass uh, sectors. Um, and the, 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 they're often poorly served by, uh, by the grid. And when they are served by the grid, um, it's weak, uh, oftentimes, but more fundamentally, most of the uh, national utilities are not keen on buying electricity from embedded generation, and that's a real shame. Um, there are several reasons for that, um, but that stifles a lot of bioenergy development for electricity because without getting easy access to the grid, it makes it very difficult um, to, you know, to, there often isn't enough, significant enough demand on site to warrant some of the investment. Um, there are exceptions. South Africa right now is moving very quickly into opening up its sector. It looks very interesting for bioenergy from a number of sources because access to the grid now is becoming much easier. Um, so additionally, 
solar wind in particular, in particular solar PV, um, get much higher rates of, uh, of tariffs, feed-in tariffs, if there are, and there are in most of these countries. Biomass always, bioenergy is always at the bottom of the, of the, the list in terms of that. And that really is something from a policy point of view that needs to be addressed because otherwise bioenergy is really not going to take off as it should, not and as it can, because it is, it is an abundant supply um, and the technology is there, people know how to use it and so forth, but basically the market really isn't there. I definitely agree. I think most of our listeners will agree as well. Uh, I mean, the new IPCC 6 assessment report has come out and bioenergy is a key technology to meet the 1.5 degrees target. How great is this potential to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions by using more bioenergy? And could this threaten food security in Africa by any chance? So I think we need to put Africa in context and the rest of the world. Looking at the countries that we were looking at, which included Nigeria and South Africa, certainly uh, in Nigeria being one of the being the largest oil petroleum gas producer in, in Africa, also having a very large growing industrial sector, and then South Africa having the largest in, uh, industrial sector in in Africa. The, it, it is quite important in those those countries. South Africa is has taken a, a very strong line on this. Um, I'm working on another project now in, in Nigeria where um, the government is taking a very strong position on this. But in most of the other countries, the contribution of, of most economic activities, which are in agriculture and agro-processing and so forth, are not really heavy contributors to greenhouse gases. Um, so from a mitigation point of view, it's really what the assessment report is, is really highlighting is focusing on both mitigation and adaptation. Adaptation is actually probably much more important um, in terms of being able to deal with and cope with the effects of climate change because those have a direct impact on the agricultural sector, on the, um, on the bioenergy sector. Um, and if we're going to basically harness more bioenergy, we're going to need to basically put that within much more of a, of a climate context and provide it with much more support than we, we have seen now. So that's, for me, a, a key takeaway from the uh, IPCC latest uh, assessment report, um, is that basically we need to focus much more on how we can stimulate um, and this uh, we're looking at bioenergy um, to be able to for countries to adapt better to, to climate change. Thanks, Mike, for your insights. Uh, over to you now, Ankit. Uh, what do you think are the economic climate benefits, uh, costs of bioenergy compared to low carbon solutions such as solar? Uh, yep. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the question, and, and thanks on, on for having us as well. So, in terms of economic and climate benefits, I think I think Mike was alluding to some of you know uh, the climate aspects. Um, but just looking, comparing bioenergy broadly with other renewable energy solutions such as solar or mini hydro or even wind, uh, if electricity generation is the main requirement, then solar or even mini hydro is most often simpler, more robust, um, and, and currently even more cost effective. To implement as compared to bioenergy. In fact, uh, in our research, you know, when we looked across different demand sectors and case studies, we saw that you know there are some enterprises, for example, within the horticulture sector and within the dairy sector, 
who prefer to go for solar despite having ample feedstock available on site. Uh, so, for example, one horticulture fruit and veg enterprise, you know, was composting their their waste um, and and then spreading it onto the fields um, and and using solar instead, you know, to to power their facilities. And similarly, in the dairy sector, there was one one major dairy farm that we we noticed who had experimented a lot with bioenergy, but given the main requirement was primarily around around electricity, they went for a solar solution, and instead uh, the, the manure that was generated, you know, was spread onto the fields. So, uh, so that I guess when it comes to mainly electricity, electricity generation, um, other technologies often tend to be more cost effective. But if an enterprise has a significant requirement for heat uh, for process applications such as drying or withering, um, as in the tea sector, or you know sterilization uh, or milk chilling, for example, in in the dairy sector, um, then bioenergy based CHP uh, becomes much more economically attractive. Um, and um, besides besides uh, heat and electricity, uh, both AD and combustion-based technologies, which are the two technologies that we looked at, also have another advantage as a waste management solution. Uh, so, for example, in the wood processing sector, um, we noticed that significant quantities of wood residues, you know, such as sawdust and trimmings, etc., are often left on the site to either rot or are burnt, uh, and all of these then lead to significant, you know, greenhouse gas generation. Um, and there are other industries, uh, and Mike alluded to the palm oil sector briefly, you know, where they generate uh, a polluting byproduct called the palm oil mill effluent. Uh, and if, if this is discharged, uh, you know, either mildly or, or, not un, or, or not treated at all into lakes and rivers, um, it can damage these water bodies. So often, and, and often there is, you know, some form of, of an economic cost that is associated with the safe disposal of these wastes. So in all of these situations where waste management is an issue uh, and there is a prof proper enforcement uh, of you know, law and regulation around these things, AD um, often and combustion you know, tend to be suitable solutions, not just for managing the waste, um, but in the case of AD, the byproduct that is also generated, which is the, the digested, um, can also be used as a fertilizer, thus, thus adding further to the economic value of, of using AD. Um, but with the digest, with with the use of the digested as a fertilizer, uh, we've seen that you know this is one area where a lot more research and development is actually needed. Um, there have been some research and pilots and interventions uh, that have taken place in order to standardize and popularize the use of uh, this digested as a bioslurry. Uh, for example, through the creation of bioslurry markets, uh, you know where where this is generated and sold onto other farmers or to use on their fields. Um, but um, but valorizing this component uh, and valorizing this component will not only yield you know significant climate benefits uh, by reducing the use of synthetic fertilizers, but can significantly improve the the economic benefits uh, of bioenergy as well. Thanks, Aget. Uh, I think I would definitely complete. I completely agree with you because uh, I would say that the larger audience uh, from whom I'm aware of. The moment we talk about low carbon solutions, the, the first thing we talk about is electricity, solar, and wind. Uh, I mean, we, we largely talk about the larger ecosystem in place and the role of uh, bioenergy uh, and other biotechnologies that are that play a very crucial role. And as you say, uh, from, I'm sure this report even talks about how more economical and cost effective it is uh, rather than just going for the larger mainstream. Uh, which, which are going to convert uh, in a much more inefficient manner. Uh, in terms of the next yeah. question, I mean, what do you think are the available resources and tools that are being developed by the project that can assist the industry 
and investors to assess the feasibility, use, and applications of bioenergy technologies. Um, yep, so, so we've been implementing this project now for, for the last two years. Um, and over the course of the project, uh, th throughout the project, our, our main focus was focusing upon what industry really needed at this point in time. And, and that was an improved understanding of you know, the, the challenges and opportunities around the use of bioenergy and understanding where are the most promising sectors where bioenergy can be deployed um, and also developing and providing a set of practical tools and resources uh, that can assist, you know, make decisions around investment in bioenergy development uh, in an African context. So with this kind of objective in mind, um, we, we spent the last two years researching both the challenges and the opportunities for bioenergy development um, across seven promising sectors. Uh, and for each of these sectors, we've developed quite comprehensive technical reports um, on these opportunities. And, um, and accompanying these, these technical reports, we've also produced a policy brief for, for each sector uh, to provide an overview of the policy and the regulatory framework for bioenergy use um, in, in the target country where, where that sector was analyzed. But not just in the target country, but you know what the potential is for replication across other countries as well that were, that were part of our project. Um, and in terms of these these seven sectors, I realized we, we hadn't you know highlighted those. So so we looked across the cement sector, the tea sector, and the wood processing sector, uh, and we looked primarily here at combustion based technologies. Um, and we looked at four other sectors: that is the palm oil sector, the horticulture sector, dairy, and sizu. And in these four sectors, we looked at the potential for, for the use of AD for bioenergy generation. Um, so so these, these were the main research outputs uh, that we've produced as part of this project. Uh, and besides this, we've also developed a, a variety of practical tools and products uh, to guide investors and project developers uh, who are considering a, a bioenergy project in Sub-Saharan Africa involving either of these two technologies. Um, so, so just very quickly, you know, these, these include, uh, we've, we've developed a, a life cycle costing toolkit, uh, which is really an economic analysis toolkit that has been developed by our partner Egosol, um, that models the entire life cycle costs of bioenergy uh, to help developers determine the economic viability of investing in bioenergy. Um, the other tool that we developed is called the mass energy balance tool, which has been developed by our partner Aston University. Um, this is also an Excel-based assessment tool uh, that basically helps developers and investors model the, the resource requirements uh, you know, for investing in, in bioenergy. So in terms of how much resources needed and how much energy can be produced from it, et cetera. And, and what are the best resources that can be paired uh, with which technology for a particular demand sector. Uh, besides these two major toolkits, you know, we've also developed a set of databases, uh, two databases in particular. So one of... Uh, a list of bioenergy projects that we've identified across Sub-Saharan Africa, um, operational bioenergy projects where, where these technologies have either been piloted uh, or planned or actually been implemented. Um, and the other is a database of prominent technology providers and manufacturers uh, who have undertaken or maybe supported projects in, in our BCA2 target countries. Uh, and besides all of these products, uh, we were also tasked with uh, undertaking a standalone study on the prospects for commercial biomass gasification in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, this report was mainly meant to provide uh, an expert view of the, the challenges, opportunities, and prospects for biomass gasification in Africa, based on lessons and experiences, not just from Africa, but also from other developed and developing regions. So all of these tools and products um, have now 
have now been completed uh, and we're, we're looking to now publicly release this in the beginning of September. Uh, and we will be sharing the link to where these can be made uh, available through, through our project webpage. Um, and at the end of the project, at the end of September, we will also be having an end of project uh, event where um, we would like to build upon the, the, the study's conclusions and findings to talk about the way forward for bioenergy development in, in Africa. And um, so we, <laughs> we're quite happy to share the links to both, obviously, our, our list of products and tools and also to this final event, project event uh, with you. Thanks, Ankit. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be very helpful to a lot of our listeners and to the large audience uh, in Africa and Asia as well. Uh, thanks, Mike and Ankit, once again uh, for being part of this. Uh, and that sums up our podcast for today. Uh, thank you all for listening. A reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, data on our website, powerforall.org, and our platform for energy access knowledge, Peak. You can also sign up to receive our monthly newsletter, and if you'd like to support our work, you can make a donation via our homepage. Speak to you soon on the next episode of Power for All.